Welcome to the Union Jews Podcast. UK's only Things Union show, produced for your downloadable digital delight and appreciation in this week's episode Behind the Scenes at the General Federation of Trade Unions Where next for the GMB Union after the Monaghan Report and a musical approach to union organising Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Union Jews, the UK's only all things union podcast. I'm Simon Sapper. And in this episode, we have an exclusive interview with Doug Nichols, who is the General Secretary of the General Federation of Trade Unions. I was really pleased to be able to to chat with Doug because he and the GFTU have got some really good ideas, doing some really good work about supporting unions develop, making sure they run effectively, bringing on new activists. You'll uh, you'll enjoy what he's got to say, I'm sure. That's coming up in a little while. And after that, we can't avoid talking about the GMB and the report by Karen Monaghan QC into... Well, what looks like very deeply rooted sexual discrimination in the GMB structure. Where does the union go after this? And finally, have a listen to this. Yes, that's Come On Gal by Ewan McCall and Peggy Seeger, recorded and released in 1961 to aid recruitment, boost recruitment to the then National Union of Tailor and Garment Workers. You can hear more of that song and the story behind it later on in the show. But first, to Doug. Uh, And I started off by asking him about the apparent contradiction of having the TUC on one hand and the GFTU on the other. It's very important to say, first of all, that there is one trade union political centre in Britain, and that's the TUC. One of the strengths of our movement is that we've not been divided along political and religious lines to form different trade union centres according to ideology. We've had one political centre, which is the voice of Labour vis-a-vis the government and the employers, and that's the TUC. However, the TUC established the GFTU in 1890 in order to ensure that more unions that were then forming or that hadn't joined in with the TUC found a way of federating. And the GFTU was established then to do things that the TUC wasn't doing. So the the GFTU, for example, was the international arm of the British labour movement. It was the body that gave practical support to very, very specialist, often extremely small unions within industry. It worked with the TUC to form the Labour Representation Committee and then the Labour Party. 
and it worked with the TUC to campaign for the welfare state. I think one distinctive role of the GFTU in the early days was that it created out of the voluntary subscriptions of all of its uh, many affiliates, a huge fund to protect workers in difficulty. So it was a strike and victimization fund. It was a welfare fund for union members to apply to really fulfilling the role of the early welfare state. And the TUC didn't have that. Now, the huge funds that the GFTU had to support workers in difficulty and to support uh, very important struggles at the time became a political campaign to form the welfare state and ensure that there was unemployment benefit, there was a national health service, there were publicly owned and so on. So that was a big campaign that the GFTU was uh, very much part of, an unwritten history. And in fact, when the welfare state was achieved in 1945, the GFTU had a bit of an identity crisis because it had achieved its main aspiration and it didn't quite know what to do. Uh, in fact, it, is, it discussed dissolving at that point, but it then decided that it, there was still a role for small specialist trade union support. So it established education and research and still retains not the central, but an important international role, which many of the smaller specialist unions uh, otherwise wouldn't have been involved in. Mm -hmm. So it's complementary to the TUC. It's never been in competition, and it fulfills a, diff a different role. Generally speaking, you could say that its main purpose has been the provider of services and a democratic forum for smaller specialist trade unions, and, and gives them practical support uh, and advice. And indeed, as we have done in recent years uh, and, and in the past, it actually helps form new trade unions where workers are seeking advice as to how to unionize. And of course, that role in the context of, what, 25 million or so workers not being in a trade union mm -hmm. is now an absolutely vital one for the whole of the labor movement. That explanation is really, really clear and helpful, I think, in terms of people understanding the development of the GFTU and, and, and fascinating the way in which in the post-war war years, the organisation could have, as you say, dissolved, but re almost redefined itself and used the resources that had been freed up by the creation of the welfare state, which meant the GFTU didn't have to fund so many things to, to, to develop and assist the, the growth of the union movement in, in that way. I'm very interested in what you said about the GFTU's role in helping unions form. Now, are there particular tactics or tools that are, that are used to do that? Or is it a case of actually being a critical friend or, or, or a mentor? I think it, we've been approached in the, you know, the last number of years by organisations which have suddenly got together to try and represent special interests of special groups of workers who then said, oh, we're probably best to become a union. How do you do that? And um, we've been approached by other groups that have been established for a, a while but may have a different constitutional format. Some may be professional associations, some indeed may be companies. And they've suddenly sort of said to themselves, well, perhaps we're better off and perhaps there's advantages to becoming a trade union. So we've been able to give constitutional, organisational, political advice on, on how to form and get registered and how to function. And uh, in the case of new unions, of course, they don't have the 
benefits of scale of more established unions. So the practical support that they can get from the GFTU uh, is of great advantage to them. Uh, and that takes many, many different forms. We're quite effective in what we can do. So it, it's great that uh, there are so many organisations of work out there still thinking about becoming trade unions and I think everyone should take heart that although we sometimes think that oh it's a, it's a difficult situation we're in and we've been halved in size and so on there are there's no shortage whatsoever of groups wanting to form unions and, and, and we like to think we can play well in that. Do you, have you noticed uh, over recent years any particular trends in terms in terms of sectors where there has been an upswing in the desire for unionization or or, or other demographics that link the people who have approached you together? No, I think I think it, in some ways it, it's traditional and typical of the way in which British workers have organized. And I think we should register that we are a trade union movement. And in our history, there's probably been about 5,400 things called trade unions. And all but a very relatively small handful of those have been vertical unions coming up from particular occupations or professions representing a trade. Yeah. And the power of the movement has always come I believe, not from uh, size, as it were, but from the ability of groups of workers to understand their trade or professional, whatever you call it, inside out, and be able to control the skill and the dynamics of the workplace as a result of that understanding uh, of the trade and that consequent power in the workplace. So we, uh, again, unlike many other countries, have this, I think, excellent tradition of secular, non-sectarian trade unionism, which means that workers in a particular um, sector believe that coming together for mutual advantage, in its simplest terms, is the most powerful way of uh, organising and representing themselves. So that tradition continues. So whether it's psychotherapists, whether it's artists, whether it's social workers, whether it's medical professionals in football or whatever, they are still uh, a wide variety of occupations, but they still believe in organising along trade lines. Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, I think that what you say is, is absolutely true. But even though it's a tradition, uh, you know, I think none of us would take it for granted that without, without nourishment and without regeneration, such as the GFTU pr- provides, you know, traditions have got no divine right to last for, forever. They need, they need constant sustenance as it were and another one of the things i know the gftu does is it, is it offers and accredits apprenticeships for various forms of trade union uh, administrative uh, administrative roles how did how did that come about and and do you get many takers well um, there's two elements to this one there's something new which is the trade union officials apprenticeship apprenticeship is a slightly misleading word because it's a, a qualification for all trade union officials, whether they've been there a day or, or 10 years, sort of thing. So that's a new development that uh, we, we've helped to take forward, which will involve training and accreditation of that training. And we're, we're registered as the um, endpoint assessment organisation to accredit the training that is given by different bodies for those officials. Now, that, I think, is a very major development for the movement, 
We've not previously professionalised the role of trade union officials, and a lot of work has taken place over the last two years with many colleagues from unions. We were, we were happy to facilitate the initial meetings, but it involved many unions to define the standards, the knowledge, behaviour and skills that go into the role of a trade union official, just as any other job would have done. So this is, I think, a major step forward for the movement, helping us to create a new generation of officials properly equipped and skilled and trained to do their very, very demanding jobs. Now, the, the other thing that you may be referring to also is that we've identified a need over the years to provide management training for all, all sorts of people in unions, whether admin, NEC members or senior officials. The, the word management doesn't always go down well in the trade union movement, but uh, we, we strongly believe that good management is a good thing for any organisational development. Absolutely. So we have uh, created a trade union management programme, which is uh, accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. And that is a set of pick and mix modules or a whole course, which we hope will better equip people to manage the very, very particular and difficult organisations that are trade unions. Obviously, there's a thousand and one management training programmes, but most of those are in the context of commerce and business, not within the value base of collective organisations like unions and their their membership democracy. It's fantastic. And I'm, I'm, you know, I wanted to explore that a bit because I don't, I don't believe there is anyone else out there in, in the labor movement in its widest sense, who's offering that, that sort of value-based necessary training because, you know, trade unions might not like management, but you know, if you spend more money than, than you're getting in, you go bust. It doesn't matter whether you're a union or a multinational corporation. And, and that's why good administration and management is, is important. One of many, many reasons of, of course, uh, I suppose if people know the GFTU a bit, then one of the things that they'll almost certainly know is about the education program, which is a, a fantastic pro- program. And, and in particular, the young men, Development Weekend, I think I've got the title right. Yes. Um, that is a, a tremendous bringing together of people who, who have native experience or enthusiasm, but no, no kind of formal training or, or not even necessarily formal position in their organisations. Well, it, it is extremely important. We uh, focus a lot on it. We spend a lot on it. And we're pleased to say that uh, since we rejuvenated it in 2013, it has already created a number of people, I'm not, you know, I can read off quite a long list, but a, a very good number of people who are now in positions of leadership within the Labour Party or within the trade union movement, including some new general workers. Now, our, our view was that the movement was hemorrhaging, it was not appealing to young people, its uh, attempts to engage young people were, with no disrespect to anyone, but generally speaking, boring as hell and yes. not motivating people yeah. and not enhancing and empowering the natural political and collective interests and concerns of young people. So I'm from a youth and community background and I believe very strongly that uh, youth and community work approaches in Britain have offered a great deal to the education system by introducing new methods of learning, using arts, culture, uh, interactive learning, a much more participative way of engaging people in awareness about new things. So we decided to apply these approaches 
to our Young Members Development Weekend in particular, but also to all of our education programme, but to the Young Members Development Weekend, we then got itself into a position where the young workers themselves, who've been through the process one or two times, lead it. So the event is no longer organised by me, as it were. It's a group of uh, younger generation trade unionists who have been inspired by those informal education methods and have a great understanding of the movement and they can better inspire others. So it's never going to be a mass event. It's not, uh, it's not a mock conference. It's not a motions-based event. It's not a policy event. It's a very enjoyable, very stimulating a very challenging introduction to all of the many facets of the trade union movement which make us still the biggest voluntary organization in Britain and the most democratic and actually when you just peel below the surface a little bit the most exciting uh, organizations in Britain. Yes for sure I wouldn't disagree for disagree for a moment. Before we started recording you mentioned that the, the GFU is introducing a range of new services for, for members of affiliates. Could you tell us a bit about, about what they are? Yes, we decided that we needed to broaden our support for trade unions as as widely as we possibly could. And in 2015, we adopted a policy which we call win-win. Now, we recognise that all unions have a variety of practical requirements, which they very often go onto the commercial market to, to buy in. Mm. And they don't always get the best deal, and uh, the money they spend doesn't always come back to the labour movement itself. So we decided to put together, I think it's now well over 60 services, which are from trusted providers who support the trade union and labour movement, who share our value base, and they offer, we think, competitive prices for the work that they offer to trade unions. Um, and they give us, uh, or rather our educational trust, which is a charity that provides our education, they give us a small commission in return. So it's a virtuous circle mm-hmm. uh, which keeps the money within the movement. Now, we don't just work with third-party providers we also deliver services directly ourselves and they now are pretty disparate. It's anything from backroom administration to end of year audits, management accounts, support for GDPR uh, provisions, advice and direct guidance on the best ICT uh, systems to use and software. Again, unions have had a difficult time on that front, I think. Yes, and yes indeed. The best advice. So we provide direct services and we provide services through third parties. Mm. Our latest one is called Emplore. And I would encourage people to have a look at the website on that. It's an absolutely fantastic layperson's terms, encyclopedic guide to um, employment legislation and best practice and policy with an absolutely incredible monthly newsletter. So that's something that we think unions should subscribe to and indeed employers, if we're keen on employers improving their practice, the site will give them some ready-made answers so they're not going to make stupid mistakes. Mm, mm, indeed. Um, and then we've also, we also decided, and whether you call it a service or not, I don't know, but we also decided that the labour movement generally was shedding too many of its bricks and mortar residential properties 
So we uh, invested some time ago in uh, Corngrange Hotel, which had been in the movement for a while. Uh, but we decided to uh, invest in that, expand it, refurbish it, build new rooms, uh, build some housing, build some new classrooms, get the technology in, etc. So that Labour Movement has got a very, very good, high standard, good food, great rooms, fantastic environment to hold its meetings and its training. And again, of course, any revenues generated there go back into our Indeed. Um, education programme as part of the virtuous cycle we're trying to create. Gosh, I mean, it, 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 so, it sounds like the GFTU has got very high levels of engagement that are based partly on shared values, but also partly on providing the sort of support and services that the movement generally needs and that affiliates in particular are thirsty for. What do you see coming next? If we rolled forward three, four, five years for the GFTU, what, what would you hope to have seen happen during that period of time in terms of the development of the organisation? I think the new work we've done on what trade union education should be and how it should be delivered is extremely important for the whole movement. And we bring together a range of professional groups within unions to discuss professional issues. And one of them is education officers. And that group, which was meeting very regularly, generated a set of new ideas and new thoughts about the future of union education and where it had perhaps gone wrong and not been so good in recent years. And the book's called Trade Union Education Transforming the World, which is a collection of 20 essays by colleagues in the education field who've looked at the history of trade union education, the practice of it, and good ideas for the future. Now, that's taking a while to percolate through. You'll see it reflected in our last education program called Education for Action. And I think that that needs more attention. More people need to have a look at that book, need to have a look at the ideas that we put forward, because the movement will not regrow, will not have the effect that it should have, unless we have a new generation of more aware, more conscious officials and lay representatives. Now, if I was to summarise where we've been on that, the trade union movement used to be the source of political, philosophical, economic and historic knowledge for generations of workers. That was all stripped out and what was developed was a form of vocational training. I can paragraph 10 of the Redundancy Act. I can quote paragraph 7 of the Health and Safety Act. Mm. Very mechanical, very limited in its scope. We want to get back to a re-energised, more conscious form of education, which sets any immediate empirical problem, whether it's health and safety or disciplinary or whatever, within the general structure of power inequalities and difference in Britain so that we as a movement again can talk about transformation not just dealing with the immediate problem that hits us in the face tomorrow so I hope that that work that we've done which I believe is pioneering will get greater attention more people will engage with that that sort of strategic thinking 
that strategic approach is just is something that often gets pushed to the margins, gets eclipsed by the here and now, the firefighting that, that needs to happen the, the whole time. So to have such a resolute focus on that sort of strategic objective is, is hugely important, I think. Well, uh, we, we think so. We, we've got a good group of trustees on our education trust who've helped with that agenda along with the education officers. And uh, we've got a very good executive which has developed some of that strategic thinking. There's another vital side to it that we're beginning to, to develop as well. And it's a big question and we've done some papers on it. We've had a lot of initial thinking on it, but it's in summary this. Workers in Britain have organised in two streams. One, workplace organisations through trade unions. Two, locality uh, and neighbourhood-based organisations and issue-based organisations through what I would call the community movement. So the, the number of workers involved voluntarily in community organisations to campaign for social justice on particular issues, to improve neighbourhood facilities, to develop a wider sense of education, to fight for welfare facilities or housing facilities in particular localities, the number of workers involved in those organisations far outweighs those involved in the trade union movement. But those organisations which share the same social justice values, which have similar democratic structures, local branches, regions, national, which believe in accountability and representative democracy, which campaign for beneficial change for a collective within a collective culture. That there's been a split. Workplace over here, trade unions, community movement and organisations over there. We think that it's time to find ways of working more cooperatively on a long-term strategic basis together within those sectors. Absolutely. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and here's a challenge to, to, to colleagues who, who are in a position to make this happen uh, in, in trade unions. I don't know of any union that looks at its membership base or let alone its activist base and says, these are all active citizens. Are they school governors? Are they involved in community organisations? Where, where is the commonality that yeah. we can use as the basis to develop that closer long-term work, working relationship? And, and yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not aware of any union that's mapped its members in that way. And if you're listening and you have, let me know, because I think it's a really important exercise. Yes, and we're going to continue that. and We're going to continue our dialogue with a lot of the good, well-established community organisations. I mean, it was no accident, of course, that many of those fantastic infrastructure bodies that supported workers outside the workplace were demolished in um, the budget in 2010, along mm. with the new wave of austerity and neoliberalism. That was the equivalent of the attacks on the trade union movement because they, they have not liked workers organising and having a voice either at work or outside work. So there's a lot to do to bring the two parts of what I see as one movement back together. You know, I'd like the GFQ to make a, a major and distinctive contribution on that and the, and the executive you know, is, is fully engaged with that. Well, well, Doug, it's been a, a fascinating quick tour around the, the, the GFTU range of interests and areas, areas of operations. Uh, you know, I think there is so much, so much good that's being done and, uh, and I hope uh, the organisation goes 
from strength to strength and that we achieve some of these strategic uh, objectives that we've, we've been talking about. And, and, and by the way, listeners, if you, if you haven't had a chance to sample the GFTU's hospitality or their education work, I would strongly recommend both. Doug, thank you very much indeed. And good luck to your initiative as well. Thank you, Doug. Thank you. Well, some really, really interesting issues and ideas there. The idea of uh, professionalisation of trade union employees. I mean, there are about 8,000 people who work for trade unions in in Britain at the moment. And they're value-driven organisations, yes, of course, but there needs to be a degree of professional qualifications, integrity, skill about making sure unions work as they must under the law and as they must in order to support their existing members and recruit new ones. So the idea of bespoke training for trade union employees and representatives is is a really novel one, actually, still, and it shouldn't be so novel, but it is. Then there's the stuff about creating new unions. I mean, I know a number of people who have been involved in trying to build new unions have gone to the GFTU and have had really valuable mentoring and discussions with GFTU officials about what they need to do, how they need to position themselves, what the legal requirements are. So that's clearly very, very important. And then the bit that Doug ended on about working with community-based organisations, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't agree with, uh, with him, with him more. I mean, we're not, you know, we don't leave our trade union values kind of at the door when we leave the workplace or we log off at the end of the day. We want trade unions to be active in their communities as well as in their workplaces or with their employers to maximise the coverage of collective voice in society as a whole. Now, if you listen again, perhaps to uh, a podcast that I recorded. Recorded in series one of Union Jews with Rebecca Winson uh, of the New Economics Foundation. That's a very clear exposition of how the community side of organising, collective organising, complements and reinforces the trade union activities that are essentially the same in terms of collective voice, organising, representing, agitating and so on, and how the two together are a real fusion, a, a vital fusion, a powerful fusion of, of positive forces in society. So lots to lots to think about and do look up the GFTU and the services they provide, the courses that they run. See if you can get yourself onto one of them. It's www.gftu.org.uk. Some sad and distressing news now. Uh, and I'm talking about the report by Karen Monaghan, QC, into allegations of institutionalised sex discrimination at the GMB union. Now, to be honest, I was kind of in two minds about whether or not to put something on this in this week's show. But but in the end, I thought it's got to be said. It's a it's a big issue. GMB is Britain's third largest union, big player in the TUC and the Labour Party, 600,000 members, proud history over 130 years. And no one else is really talking about this. So if you scroll back a little bit, this all started when the then General Secretary Tim Roach unexpectedly and suddenly resigned uh, on medical grounds uh, in the spring. Around this time, a letter was received by the union's national president containing some very serious uh, allegations. And it was decided to launch an independent inquiry. Karen Monaghan, fantastic track record as a human rights uh, barrister. Absolutely no question that she was eminently suitable for the task. And she's produced a report having interviewed about 40 people, received about 150 confidential submissions, 17 recommendations in the report. And I mean, it's, you know, um, deeply disappointing to read her findings. Now, in fairness, what the union has done is it's published the report. It's publicly available. 
Uh, the Central Executive Committee has agreed that it will chart a way forward to implement the 17 recommendations I- in the report, but clearly it's going to be a long and difficult road for the GMB. You know, kind of bad smells can hang around organisations, can't they, for a long time? Think about racism and the, the Met Police in, in London. Now, And some people fear that the bad smell of sexism is going to hang around for a long time with the GMB, whatever the Central Executive Council do, does. Now, I mean, I'm more optimistic than that. I am more optimistic uh, and that. I think unions have got a pretty good track record about sorting problems out once they're aware that there is a problem. It, it's becoming aware that there's a problem that is often the hard part, the the barrier. But if you look at the GMB, I mean, membership is holding up people. The union is not hemorrhaging members as a result of this. The structure has much fundamental integral strength in it. Its record of achievements for its members is, is long and illustrious and continues with innovative work in, say, the gig economy space, for, for example. So I think there is a, a fair chance that the union, if it has the will and determination to make the changes. And that's something that Karen Monaghan herself said in the conclusion of the report. If you've got the will to do it, it can be done. But it's kind of weird, isn't it, that the report's come out and it's there, it's on the front page of the GMB's website, and it's kind of a bit quiet around the movement. You know, the people are people are not you know, are not, are not referring to it. Well, you, you could understand that, you know, why, why intrude into private grief, as it were. And yet, you know, there's just this nagging doubt that perhaps... Perhaps there's a view that, oh, well, you know, if we ignore it, this will kind of go away. Well, it's not going to go away. This is a fundamental issue and challenge affecting one of the biggest unions in the country. And for all those positives that I just referred to, those positives are inevitably compromised and constrained if people are not able to participate in a way that maximizes their potential and their impact. You know, that, you know, you, you fundamentally have to have a universal respect for people, irrespective of class, race, sexual orientation, ability or disability and gender and so, uh, and so on. And it's really important to reaffirm those values across the movement all the time, really. But in any event, all power and strength and wisdom and determination uh, to our colleagues in the GMB uh, as they as they embark on this uh, this path of, of regeneration. Finally, music. Yes, more of that 1961 song from Ewan McColl, uh, featuring him and Peggy Seeger, singing a tune called Come On Girl, which was produced as part of a recruitment campaign by the then National Union Tailor and Garment Workers. Now, the NUTGW was a big hitter, a big union back back in the day. At one stage, had about 140,000 members, 10th largest union in the country, I think, in the post-war period. Eventually, numbers dwindled, trade union rationalisation, uh, but they were still about 70,000, 80,000 strong when they, when they went into the GMB in the early 1990s. Now, the disc is presented as one of those really thin, floppy vinyl affairs printed on one side with the the graphics and pictures of the band. Ewan McColl, Peggy Seeger, Brian Daly, Jim Bray and Bruce Turner complete the quintet. And it came as part of a package with a, a booklet 
that advertise the virtues and values of NUTGW uh, membership so that the listener or reader would be encouraged to join the union or could use it as a resource to encourage others to, to join the union. Now, it's not the only disc of this nature from this period of time. There are others around, including one by Acker Bilk, uh, who made a disc for the National Union of Boot and Shoe Operatives at around the same time. And of course, it's not unique uh, amongst songs extolling the virtues and the values of the, the labour movement throughout throughout musical history. So if you've got particular favourites or notable songs, particularly if they're not from the immediate past, uh, I'd love to hear about them. You can email me at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. Let's hear your musical stories, your musical histories uh, from the labour movement. I'm grateful to you and McColl's family and Red Great Music for giving us permission to use that track on the show. And if you want to find out more about the remarkable Ewan McColl, you can visit www.ewanmccall.co.uk. Well, that's just about it for this episode. Thank you so much for spending time with us over this last half hour or so. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. I hope it kind of makes you think uh, as it were if you've got ideas comments plans things that you'd like to see on future episodes things that you didn't think worked so well so we shouldn't repeat them you can tweet us at jews union you can email us at union at makes you if you head over to www.makesyouthink.com you'll find a companion blog for this podcast that contains links comments signposting if you want to follow up any of the things that you've heard thank you very much to those who have tweeted or emailed in already it's been really good to have your comments and feedback this is part of a discussion after all please do join in we'll be back next week when my special guest will be general secretary of the wales tuc shivana taj i'm really looking forward to having a chat to her about the role of the wales tuc in making wales a good work economy the particular particular characteristics of a country that's often seen as quite hard to understand geographically linguistically demographically and so on and the role of trade unions in working with the devolved welsh government that's all next week, which of course coincides with the 2020 Trade Union Congress, held virtually this year for obvious reasons. Fair play to the TUC. They've done a great job about trying to move as much as possible, including quite a big fringe programme online. I may see you on a Zoom call or in one of the chat rooms around and about Congress next week. It just leaves me to give my customary shout out to my fellow podcasters in the Labour Radio Network. You can access over 70 podcasts from across four nations by visiting www.laborradionetwork.org and it's Labour without a U, the way the Americans spell it. And don't forget, you can email the show at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. You can tweet us at Jews Union. Please do share us widely and rate us on the podcasting platform of your choice. It really does make a difference. Thanks once again for your company. We'll allow you and McColl and his colleagues to play us out. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you around. Better conditions, long weekends, paid holidays, money to spend, you owe it all to the union, you owe it all to the union, union. Whatever you do, join the union. I have a place for you in the union. Union.
The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.